The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Bright Side. In keeping with the format that I started last week, I wanted to share with you all some of this week's bright spots for me, one of which was a trip I made to the farmer's market. I think I've been getting a little down on LA for the past year or two and just kind of feeling antsy and like I want to move somewhere, try something new. But as I was walking home from the farmer's market on Sunday and the sky was blue and the weather was beautiful and lots of people were out walking their dogs, obviously with masks on. And I was thinking how nice it was that I was carrying all these fresh, amazing flowers and produce and, and cheese and Greek food and whatever I can find at the farmer's market that I love so much. How lucky I am that I have that market there and that I live in such a beautiful city and that as I'm walking back to my house from this market, everyone's saying hi, everyone seems to feel in a really positive mood. And I don't know, it was, that was a big highlight for me this week. Another highlight, I won't name any names because I'm not sure they've announced this yet, but one of my best friends got engaged and this was so exciting because of course, you know, I know a lot of people who get engaged and married and it's always exciting, but this one especially is for me because you know when your friend just meets a really, really good guy and you know that they would make a great husband and you just really hope that it works out for the two of them? So that's this couple for me. So I'm just really excited for my friend that she met someone so great and that they're going to get married. So that was another highlight. And I finally get to get back to skiing this week for the first time this year. And it was really nice just be out in the fresh air. And here in Aspen, the winter polo tournament has been happening. So it was also really fun to go see the horses and just spend some time outside watching sports. I haven't done anything like that in maybe a year. I guess we all have kind of been stuck inside. So it's just been kind of nice to have a little bit of a sense of normalcy here. Personal updates, I'm not going to be spending Christmas with my family this year, which I think is a sacrifice a lot of us are going to have to make given the circumstances. You know, it's a matter of flying across the country, which of course is not the best thing right now, but also being around, my my family's pretty big, so um, it just didn't really make sense this time, unfortunately, because I've got work coming up and yeah, so I'm sure everyone can relate to that. Kind of a bummer. Of course, I'm going to miss them, but I'll be spending Christmas here with my boyfriend and that'll be really fun. And then New Year's Eve plans, kind of the same thing. And I'm sure that you all can relate to this as well. It's, I think that it's just going to be really quiet New Year's. And as much as I was hoping things might have kind of lightened up by then and we might be able to celebrate going into 2021 in a little bit more of an exciting way, I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of champagne at home with a loved one or a friend or just chilling and staying in for the night. And so I'm going to make the best of that and just try to have a really cozy, fun little New Year's. So those are my little updates for you guys. This week on the podcast, we've got Liv Perez, who there's a little bit of a backstory in this in that Liv's sister Chanel and I became really close friends when I was living out in Malibu because she was out there all the time as well. And, you know, I would always be with Brody and his friends out places. And so I was the only girl and she has a lot of guy friends. So she'd be with her guy friends. And somehow we ended up being the only two girls with all these guys. So we became really close friends. And her little sister is Olivia, who's this week's guest. And she's so accomplished. She's so interesting. And also she feels a little bit like family, even though I don't know her that well. 
because of her sister. So I hope you guys will enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to today's episode of The Bright Side. My guest today is journalist, entrepreneur, and host of the podcast Friend of a Friend, Olivia Perez. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I wanted to have you on because I think you've accomplished so much at such a young age, and I think your background is so interesting. And also, of course, one of my very close friends is your sister, and I love her to death, and so I knew that I would love you to death. And I think you have a lot that our listeners could learn from and be inspired by. Thank you. I definitely grew up as Chanel Perez's little sister. So honored to keep that going. <laughs> Isn't that true? Well, I feel like if you knowing Chanel, she would almost say the opposite, but <laughs> <laughs> no, we keep it always Chanel Perez's little sister for oh, life. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love keep that. that. I mean, not to keep pointing out that you're you're young, but you've accomplished so much. You've written for Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, Teen Vogue, and Huffington Post already. So you've got so much ahead of you still. But what would you say is your favorite piece that you've ever written so far? I would say my first one that I ever wrote because it was horrible. And I think that's like the most fun thing about it, especially with writing is like, I think people are really hard on themselves when it comes to writing, especially me, the way that I write, I'm like analyzing every sentence. Mm -hmm. But you know, I was in high school, I really wanted to start writing. I'd been writing for my school newspaper and was just really excited by it. And I actually pitched myself to the Huffington Post to go to Coachella and what that experience would be like. <laughs> My sister just rolled her eyes. I'm sorry. Um, I, well, I'm a Coachella, huge Coachella fan as well. Well, so no, I, I dragged can... Chanel with me on that. <laughs> so I pitched it to them. I'm 16 years old. It's, my, I think, my second time at Coachella. And I asked my sister to come with me. You were 16 the first time you went to Coachella? I, well, I think when you're born and raised in L.A., it's, it's really a part of the culture here. Like you end up going a little bit later in your high school years. You know, it kind of feels like a box you tick as you're getting older here. Right. Um, it's like a rite of passage. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So I made my sister go with me. I applied for a press pass. I brought a massive camera with me through the Coachella fields. And I was so excited. It was really the coolest thing ever. I, you know, I got to go like in the rails up in the front. I was taking photos of the artists and having in post took my pitch. And they were really excited about, you know, having someone young give that perspective and what the piece was you? terrible. <laughs> the piece was terrible, but it was great because I, I put myself that. out there and it was really rewarding. Okay. Have you always been like that? You are really, you're, you're, you pursue the opportunities that you are looking for. I mean, cause I'm the opposite. I feel like everything sort of falls into place for me randomly, but I'm not so good at just like pitching somebody and coming up with an idea on my own. Well, so I really appreciate you in this podcast because it's about the bright side and being optimistic and positive. And while I do believe in puzzle pieces falling into place 100%, I do think it's a 50-50 mix of maybe betting on a little bit of luck. And like, I think a lot of people love to like operate on that adrenaline a little bit of like, oh, like, could this happen? But I do think a majority of it is putting yourself out there and putting in the work. I don't, I don't think things just happen for you. I think you have to put yourself in the position to be seen as that. And I was 16 and I wanted to write. And I was like, well, the only way I could do this is if I put myself out Did there as a journalist. Did writing come very naturally for you? No, but I'm a storyteller to my core. I've been storytelling since I was really little. I was a dancer until I was 18. And mm. I was always like really captivated by the ability to tell stories without using words and bring an audience into my own story and what I was trying to tell on stage. I think just as I got older, that found shape in something different, which was what journalism. What kind of did you do? Ballet. <laughs> okay. I actually studied ballet when I was younger as well. And I love, I was never very good at it, but I do think it's such a beautiful art form. 
it's really hard to be good at, if I'm being honest. Like I danced until I was 17 and like I was okay, but I wasn't great. It's really tough. So I get it. When you wrote that first piece about Coachella, what exactly was the focus of the piece? It was just a like eyewitness account. I think Coachella was really at that point, it was a really pivotal moment for the festival. I think it was like transitioning from you know, a, a space where it was all about like the fields to kind of now what we know it is today, which is very commercial and fun. And I think my pitch was just like, hey, I want to give you what the experience is like of a 16 year old going and experiencing this festival that, you know, a lot of people are actually coming to Los Angeles to experience. So yeah, I think writing is all about your perspective. I think that's what makes someone a good writer. It's you know, t- taking the story, but how can you put your twist on it? And that's what I pitched. And, ha- and sharing a very honest perspective. Yeah. I wrote a, a piece for Elle magazine that I, it was very personal for me and it was sort of something very public, but I still look back on that piece. And I think that for me, it's stood the test of time because I was being very authentic. And I think sharing something that was really personal and raw, you kind of can't go wrong. But I think in other ways, when I've shared writing in the past, I definitely have looked back on it and thought, what the hell was I talking about? Or I wish I could totally. take that back so bad. Have you had that experience? Well, that Coachella piece is right? literally that. I was 16. I was in high school. And like writing about a story about Coachella is making me cringe that we're even talking about this right now. <laughs> but yeah, I did write something personal a couple of years ago. One of my dear friends in London, her name is Scarlett Curtis. She wrote a book called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. And it was a compilation of 40 incredible women across a bunch of different industries writing their own personal essays on their experience with feminism. And I got to write one. And I think that was the first time that I ever really wrote something that was personal. And it is just like what you're saying. It's interesting when you get to solidify your thoughts on the internet or in paper for life. It has a a very interesting weight to it. It's almost cathartic when you're writing. But once it's out there, you're like, wow, this is there forever. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, at least writing is always cathartic. And I find the best inspiration is when I have something that I'm working through in my own life that I'm able to turn into writing. Do you find that a challenge? Do you have to have something that you're experiencing personally in order to feel creative with writing? It's interesting because I'm not writing so much anymore, especially Mm. since starting my podcast. It's been I feel like so much of my brain power is going towards that. But I guess that for me, and you and I were talking about this earlier, the prep work of a podcast for me is almost almost feels like my version of creative writing these days because I love the research aspect of it. I love coming up with questions. I love coming up with a narrative for what the episode would be, but also like kind of putting in there some things that are going on in my life that I want to bring up, whether it's a current event or something that I've been feeling, especially during COVID, we're all feeling so many different things. So just being able to put that into episodes, I think, has been like my new version of writing. Um, and storytelling that just feels, I think, the most impactful for me right now. Yeah. Through COVID, have you found new outlets or new... I mean, I know you've been working on your podcast, of course, and that you launched just prior to COVID beginning, which the timing. (laughs) Yeah. I launched weekly before COVID. We launched in May of 2019. So we're about a year and a half old. But this year was really a big year for us being able to go weekly and like have the show come out every single Monday. And of course, COVID happened. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But I actually do feel like for podcasters, it's actually COVID in a way was kind of a blessing in terms of just people being home with nothing else to do besides look for new material to listen to and read, right? Yeah. And I also think podcasting, what I loved about it and what initially drew me towards it when I started was the fact that it was so community driven because reading a story and then listening to someone's voice, they're two different senses. I think listening to someone's voice is super comforting. comforting. It could fill your home. It, it's a little different than having to sit down and read a story. So 
for me, that sense of community was what was the most exciting to me about it and being able to actually be in people's ears and, and share other people's stories as well. And I think in a way, podcasting can be a bit more raw, right? Because you have this totally. long format where people can really share stories versus just a traditional style interview where it's a kind of a quick question and answer. I mean, listen, like you you and I like get on, literally get on a mic and riff for 45 minutes right. and what you say has been said and it gets out there. Sure, you can edit out things here and there, but I think there's, you have to be a very, you have to be willing to be really honest if you're a podcaster because that honesty goes really far. People want to hear that. And and I think that's what makes a good episode. When you have guests on your show, do you typically tend to invite people on who you already have a personal relationship with or what's your style when it comes to interviewing people for your show? Well, it's called friend of a friend. So I've always liked to use that angle of bringing on friends because I genuinely think that some of my best episodes have been with people that that are just in my close circle of friends that I, I want to connect with and share what our conversations are behind closed doors, but in light. So when COVID first happened, I did a series called Call Your Friends. And every week I dropped an episode where I literally called two of my friends and just recorded them and checked in on them and asked what they were doing during COVID, how they were coping, what they were cooking. And it was one of our most successful series because it was just supernatural and organic. And I think that's what people like to hear. But at the same time, I'm really, really intentional about our roster. So I'll look at every given month and make sure that I'm talking to a really wide variety of people so that everybody who's listening can find someone that they're excited about, whether it's a politician, an artist, musician, whatever it is, I really make sure to have, you know, as many different personalities on there as possible. So someone can find some sort of ability to be seen in no matter what episode you're listening to. Yeah. And I think that we, when we were talking this about this before we started recording that it's, it can be a little bit of a challenge to find people to have on who you feel are going to speak to the message that you're trying to get across through your show. And what would you say is the message that you want to get across overall? I think it's a few things. I think someone said to me once when I was starting the podcast that all the best things and all the best ideas you're going to figure out among your friends. Mm. And I, for some reason, that resonated with me so much because I think we always have this tendency to like reach for the craziest lengths for inspiration and ideas. And we think we need to do this to get inspired or this to get inspired. And it really hit home for me because I was like, wow, I really do feel like my best ideas and I feel the most secure to explore new ideas are around my friends. So I wanted to bring that ethos into the room of just creating a really casual conversation, whether it's with my friends or someone that you love to watch on TV or in music or whatever it is, and really just bring it down to a friendship level and have this honest conversation where people could be like, oh, I feel like I was just sitting in a room with two friends riffing about this this topic. Yeah. That's really important to me. Because I think having, when you have guests on, you have to, they have to allow a certain level of transparency and rawness or else. Absolutely. Somebody said to me one time, if you're just going to listen to somebody go on a show and, and be a fake person or, or, you know, basically talk bullshit and do their kind of traditional press interview, then what's <laughs> even the point of listening, right? Like you need that raw connection yeah. and transparency for people to really be interested in what it is that you're saying. Totally. And totally. to be able to bring that out in people is a skill. Have you found it easy or challenging to be able to interview? I think it's a mix of both. I like to say that it's something that I'm I'm good at and have so much fun doing. And I think a lot of the times if you enjoy doing something, you'll do it enough until you're really good at it. So I'm hoping that one day I get to a point where I feel really good at it. But, you know, I went to school for journalism. Like, again, right. that's always been my passion. and That's what excites me. I think the podcast medium is, uh, is new and ever-changing and evolving, and I always want to keep up with that. But I think 
a quality that I'm really happy that I have is just being able to feel comfortable with strangers and be able to talk to anybody. I'm really a curious person. I'm so always you've asking. always you've always been that way to some degree. I think so. <laughs> you might have to ask someone else. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm asking you all of this and I think find it so interesting because for me, it was sort of the opposite. I also studied journalism in school, but I think, and I, I don't know if podcasting was, was around while you were still in school, but for me, it wasn't really a thing. And I remember podcasting as this like thing that we saw on our iTunes thing. It was like an RSS feed as a kid. And right. I remember it like wasn't a thing yet. So yeah. for me in school, preparing for journalism was very specifically about actual like writing for a magazine or yes. creative writing, planning to write books. And that's kind of all that I ever envisioned that I would do. And so finding this format has been so different and, and uh, unique, but also such a blessing because I actually don't think I'm that good at, at as socially. And I think that through recording the podcast and through making my TV show, but it's it's kind of given me an opportunity to get better at being more social because right. I feel more comfortable in those kind of dynamics. And I think it's a really interesting format to be able to do that. That's so interesting to hear that like when you in a moment where you kind of have to be more on is where you actually feel like the walls come down and you can have a genuine conversation. It's weird because I think when I, I mean, I think, you know, how a lot of people will describe feeling like they blacked out when they were going yes. into an interview. And that used to happen yes. to me all the time. I wouldn't remember anything that I said or anything that we talked about. And that certainly has changed over time. But that definitely was the case before. And I think it's it's kind of a, a honed skill or something that over time has gotten yeah. a little bit easier. Um, but speaking of the friends that you have on your show, you grew up in LA and you've kind of grown up in a, a setting I think is a little bit unique and different from probably the majority of what my audience has. You have a lot of friends who are very successful and well-known. Have you found it, I'm, and you've had a lot of them on your show, have you found it in any way challenging to remain? Because having had a relationship with your sister who's like the chillest, most grounded person of ever, all time. Of all time. And that's what I love about her so much. And I, Have you found that that's a challenge to maintain that? I actually think that being surrounded by people who have achieved a certain amount of success has always just been the most incredible encouragement for me. I think from a young age, it kind of made me realize that I wasn't afraid to take a chance and, and kind of put myself out there. I always felt like it gave me a perspective of entrepreneurship that was pretty different in the sense that I wasn't afraid. I was just ready to kind of go out there and put myself out there and if I failed, okay. If something didn't work, okay. I think it was just the most incredible way to feel supported, one, because at the end of the day, no matter what success level my friends have, they will always be my friends and a, an incredible community of people that are creative and inspiring and always kind of pushing each other. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it really was just the most incredible encouragement to to put myself out there and keep going. And I think I think that if you give it a chance, everybody in your friend group, you will always like have that person that will have your back and encourage you and to kind of go out for your dreams. Yeah. And you grew up here in LA, but then you moved to New York to go to school and you've been living there for how many years? I, I know was, you just moved back. I right? did. Yeah. I was there for nine years. How did you feel about the move back to LA? Because you moved back during COVID, right? I did. I'm a little salty about it still. <laughs> Are you? Actually, I'm not salty about it. That's the wrong word. That's like me trying to be funny and like overshadow some <laughs> sort of like bruise that I'm I'm like putting bandages on the gauze. Was it not a choice to move back? It definitely was a choice. I can't say that. I think okay. that what's been, I think everybody this year has had to gone through go through some sort of change in their life. And where I lived was mine. Uh, my family lives here. My boyfriend lives here. And I think that for my mental health and 
or best, what was best kind of suited for my situation was to come home. But, you know, I have lived in New York since I was 18 and it's like my favorite place in the world. But yeah. I think just with everything going on, it didn't seem feasible really for me to kind of continue on alone there. A lot of my friends were born and raised in the city or from the East Coast. And a lot of them were going home to like their family's homes or something like that. And so I chose to do the same thing. But, you know, I miss it a lot. And I think New York is a drug. It is fully like when you live there, it's a lifestyle that you either run away from and you move or you fully embrace. So I think for me, I was used to that lifestyle for a very formative couple years of my life. And now I'm just kind of changing, shifting, shifting gears a little bit. But I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to your point, I think anytime I've ever, I, I grew up on the East Coast as well. And I think I, I used to go spend weekends in New York just for fun to have the weekends out. And I would go back, of course, for, we were, we were talking about the first time we ever met was during a New York Fashion Week when I was there right. for work. But I've always felt that New York is so overwhelming that I couldn't right. live there full time. So to your point, I think it's it's kind of amazing when someone has the energy to be able to withstand and also excel in the city. Yeah, I loved it. But, you know, again, I think that my situation is so tiny compared to what is going on in this world. I, I mostly feel for, you know, I feel for college kids that aren't, you know, able to being class, I'm feeling for so many students that are kind of missing out on that. So me having to move home is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no. But yeah, and it, I, it I definitely. I know you're not complaining. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> was a huge life shift for me because it happened kind of overnight. Speaking of of COVID and the changes that we've all had to make, what did you find were some of the bright spots in your experience in COVID? So much. Yeah, I don't like saying that because I think we're in a really horrible time right no, now. But I, think yeah. it's a, I think it's a mindset to be able to, because of course, everybody is having their own challenges I th through this right. time. And Sarni, who produces the show, and I were having this conversation earlier today prior to recording that as much as, you know, everybody's really overwhelmed by the situation and everybody's struggling, you still find these little personal struggles that you're having in your own life and you almost feel guilty acknowledging them. Of course. Because you know that someone's already worse off. Right. So I think there's there's a, a balance of acknowledging that, you know, it's okay for you to, to know that you're still doing well, but also have your personal frustrations and then finding things that you're grateful for. You're totally for, right. You're totally right? right. I think that there's a... I think a lot of people feel this way too, that pre-COVID, we were operating at a speed that was not healthy for so many people, especially, you know, when I was living in New York and, and the fashion industry is like literally turning over overnight. So, you know, I have found so much gratitude in just being home. And I think before when I was living in New York, you can ask anybody, the only thing that was in my fridge was like random alcohol. Like there was like not even like, <laughs> a milk or like an almond or like not an almond, like a lemon, like anything. Like there was nothing. I was barely ever home. I was constantly on the go. I looked at my calendar from the year before COVID and I was on a plane every other week. And while I think that being in your early 20s and experiencing as much as you can and saying yes to everything is a gift and the most amazing thing that you can do for yourself, this year and this past couple of months has made me find so much joy and appreciation for really simple things. Mm. My boyfriend and I have been camping a couple times and like that was not something I thought I'd ever love, but I love it. And I look now we like look forward to weekends where we can get away. I just spent the past weekend redoing my kitchen myself and like that's not something I would ever do. But I think it's just these little things of that feel so simple and bring me so much joy. 
I think what COVID has really made me realize is it's not the structures in your life that hold you up. It's not your apartment. It's not the city you live in. It's not the coffee shop you go to every day. It's the people in your life that will stay consistent no matter where you are, no matter what's going on that are going to hold you up. And I think that that's where I found the most gratitude in learning that this year and being able to just feel love from a lot of people in my community and really relate on just being able to slow down. Yeah. A lot of my listeners are Well, anyone has gone through a struggle in their life where they can't necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I like to ask, have you been in an experience where you felt like everything was really dark or you you couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, but ultimately you did and it came out and ended up being a positive? I feel that every day. (laughs) Right? Yeah, definitely. I think when you work for yourself, it's something that, you know, little fires literally everywhere all the time. And sometimes it gets pretty bleak. I think at the end of the day, the only person that's going to make it happen for you, for you is you. So I think I felt that so many different times without my career. There's not a distinctive moment where it's just been absolutely like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. But I do think that it's so easy to fall into that, that mentality often when you are working for yourself in terms of like, what is the light at the end of the tunnel? What does that actually look like? I think for a lot of people who, you know, are in a nine to five or maybe a little bit and work for a company, it's like, okay, I can see myself like leveling up through these positions. But when you decide to go out on your own, like it's up to you to kind of create those. So I think in my life, my biggest challenge has actually been figuring out what that next step is. What is the light at the end of the tunnel? What do I want at the end of that? Right. And that's been something that I, I think I focus on and actually fear a lot of the time. And I think that's totally normal. Since you graduated from school, have you always worked for yourself? So when I graduated school, I took a job at a retail company. I was there for a year and I was really adamant about taking that job because if I'm being honest, I think the worst time in like your young adulthood is the year you first get out of college. And like no one talks about it. People are like, oh, yeah, like, okay, you like go to a job and it's so exciting and you're in the real world. But like in my experience and, you know, talking about this with my friends, like, that is the time where people are like, I felt the most lost. Mm. Like you are literally on your own. And a lot of the times you're in a job that you don't love and you're just kind of hustling to get to that next point. And so I was really adamant on taking that job because I was like, you need structure. You need to learn. You need to learn from a company and understand what process is and have a boss and learn how to manage your time. So I was pretty adamant about that. And I was in there for about a year until I decided, okay, I can go out on my own. So I did a similar thing when I graduated college. I took a job in finance, which having studied- Brilliant. I wish I could do that. (laughs) No, but having, so I studied journalism in school and my actual game plan was to be, it was to go into medicine. I wanted to go to medical school. What kind of medicine? I kind of toyed with either emergency room medicine or dermatology. So I used to to volunteer in an emergency room. I mean, I I, faint at the sight of blood, so I'm like (laughs) bowing down to you. Well, it was a very different experience in the time that I spent working in the emergency room than what I necessarily perceived. But the biggest thing I took away from it was that I felt that patients were waiting way too long to see a doctor. I never really understood that that was the way that it went, but I would see patients in the waiting room screaming or writhing in pain and it was so hard to watch. And That's I, horrible. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want to be a doctor who doesn't, who just comes out to the waiting room and sees these patients. And I'm sure there's so, you know, it's so bureaucratic. And there's, there's like so a schedule. <laughs> yeah. And that's just not realistic. But I remember thinking that when I was in there, I don't want anybody to be sitting in a waiting room screaming or scared. Right. But that year, to your point of that transitional year when you get out of college, I was on my own and I had to figure out what my plan was going to be going forward. And all of a sudden, I 
had to take this job in finance because that's what I needed to support myself. And I feel like that changed the entire path of my life because I ended up working in that job in finance for five years. Wow. And it was a great job and I was surrounded by the most brilliant people and I absolutely loved it. But by the time I came out of that, it felt way too late to go back to medical school. And all of a sudden I was here in LA doing something completely different. So I do think it's so interesting that that, that year can be such a transition for it where you're going to go. And also to your, to your other point, I have a really yearned for that structure of the nine to five in a lot of ways, because working for yourself, like you said, you don't, you, you are fully responsible for yourself and you don't have the structure of a schedule or somebody telling you what to do. And as much as it is a blessing in a lot of ways to be able to make your own schedule and have a lot of flexibility and control over how you're going to spend your time, it's scary because, you know, you're the only person you can rely on. So totally. it's, it's, it's a real, it's a very interesting position to be in, especially in your twenties, I think to not really know how, where you're going to go from there and be trying to build something entirely on your own. Yeah. It takes a lot of diligence and it takes a lot of patience and not just like with life. Like you have to be patient with yourself. Like I've made so many mistakes since I was like 21 and kind of started my own thing. And while I'm really glad I learned them young and not while I was older. What do you think was the biggest mistake you ever made? Not taking some sort of business course and not understanding finances to like mm. the best of my ability. Like it was not, it's something that like anytime I meet a college student or anytime someone DMs me, emails me asking me for advice, it's like, I think that's something that is totally missing from like our education, education system. It's like, why are we not taught taxes? Like how to do them? Why are we not taught like how to do, to, to manage money? Like why isn't that part of a class that we have in high school? I completely agree. We need more practical education than than as much as I and, and I say this having been the student that loved taking all of the, all of the classes that I guess generally people consider kind of useless. I loved all of the, you know, history. I love history. First of all, English wow. history was my favorite class I ever took. Was there like a certain time period you liked to learn well, about? Well, I just I just loved about uh, learning the English language and how it developed over time. And it's That's so, so cool. it's kind of useless now. I mean, they when, made me take Latin in middle school, but I don't remember any of it. Right. So I so <laughs> I took Latin through that course because we had to take. Right. We had to understand the history of the English language. And like, what am I going to do with this now? I have no right. idea, but I still loved it. So I don't right. know. But I think that, yeah, we need more practical courses to teach people time or money management and how to run a business and yeah, those kinds of things. especially now where we have so many. It's so cool to be in this day and age where we have so many people who feel brave enough and supported enough by our society to go out there on their own. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really cool thing to be witnessing right now. But I think we need to continue to support that in a deeper way by preparing people for that journey. And that was something that I was totally like, I'm, I'm like the go getter. I'm like, okay, like, I want to see this, I'm going to go do it. I'm super excited about things, probably to my demise, that I get overexcited about things. And um, I don't I'm think that can ever be your demise. <laughs> I'm like emotional, and I'm fun. And like, you know, I'm, that's like the driving force behind my entrepreneur. It's not strategic and businessy. And so I think that's definitely something that if I was to go back like five years from now, I would jump right Just in. Just kind of more learn. practical information. Totally. Yeah. Totally. No, I know. I can I, I need the same. <laughs> I'm also terrible with money management and I am planning. I don't know any of that. But um where do you see yourself in 10 years in your fantasy? Well right now I'm like I, I'm at this like really cool crux of my career right now where I've been in fashion for like five, six years, deeply ingrained in it, loving every second of it, worked with 
I am so grateful. Worked with like every brand I ever wanted to work with. When you say you're in fashion, what exactly do you mean? So I was working, I did so many different things. I was working, the retail company that I worked for, I was working on the back end of their marketing strategies. So I was helping build out strategies for influencers, for holidays, for, you know, their whole calendar to kind of get it out to their audience. So I did the back end side of that for a little bit. And then I did the front end side of it. I was um, writing for Forbes, writing specifically about fashion, beauty, lifestyle. So I was really in the up and coming brands. That was always my big focus, getting to know them, getting to their founders and kind of analyzing like what the ever changing fabric was of fashion. And then on the front facing end, I was doing a lot of like social media work. It was kind of the time where things were starting to boom for social media influencers. I was working with a ton of different brands. But it was nice to have this like 360 holistic view of the industry and not just doing like the brand partnership, but also the writing and really yeah. getting in like every nook and cranny of what it was. Well, it must feel very fulfilling to know that's, that Forbes, for example, wants to hear what you have to say and that they appreciate and value your opinion and thoughts on on the fashion space or whatever it is that, you want to, that you're writing for them. Yeah, I have a lot of admiration for these like you know, heritage brands that are very, very acutely aware of like needing to bring in younger voices and kind of keep that energy going. They definitely don't have to do that, but they did. And um, it was an amazing experience writing for them. Yeah. Well, congratulations, because that's huge Thanks. to have accomplished. I didn't answer your question. Um, but so no. <laughs> I didn't answer your 10 years question. Um, oh. But so I, you know, I was in fashion for a really long time. And, and now I'm back here and I'm focusing on my podcast and have been for about a year and a half. And that's been so exciting for me to explore this whole other side of storytelling that has been a passion of mine since I was little. But, you know, I would love to have a show one day. That's my dream, like a show that, you know, transcends just podcasting. I think that's something that I've always wanted since I was young. But I, right now, I'm also just really... By a show, do you mean a Oh, I, I do like, television? I do TV, I do radio, I do anything. Like, I'm open to all of it. Oh, um, very cool. I'm just really excited about, like, meeting people, interviewing them, and sharing that story. Like, for me, that's just the, like... Thing that I hold very close to my heart and I'm very excited about all the time. But right now I'm also really excited about how many other podcasters and like storytellers there are out there right now. I think that there's so much talent and that's a really, really exciting thing to see. So I wouldn't be surprised if I started either, you know, expanding my production capabilities and producing and working with other podcasters or any other different type of medium. I can imagine, you know, I'm 60 episodes in at this point, I think. Oh, wow. So I, I can imagine in a couple of years, it could be something that I'd be really excited to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to kind of have this like really open-ended vision of things that I'm doing right now. Right. So yeah. many possibilities for where yeah, it could I, end up. I think that's important. I think it's, you know, I, as much as I think that it's important to like have a straight path and, you know, continue to check the boxes till you get to that point. I think when you're in your mid twenties, like I am to just like kind of leave these, the it open-ended and kind of go where you're feeling most excited has been something that has been um, a really good kind of navigation well, for me. I'll tell you from experience that when you have a plan, that's just not Yeah, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And that's the thing is, I, I mean, I do, I, of course, you know, one of my close friends from childhood knew from the time she was 12 years old, she was going to be a doctor and she's done every single right. thing to be that. And she's got, but I, but I think that for the majority of people being open-minded is kind of the only way to go because you really just don't know what's going to happen in your life. And I think it's great to always be willing to accept kind of roll with the punches and, right. and be open to different possibilities. Because what happens when you get to that point? Like, like is your friend a doctor now? She is. Okay, so now what? <laughs> yeah, right. And See? I know I kind of wonder that, you know, she's a, she's a pediatric surgeon. Amazing. Wow. Which is incredible. Right. Yeah. And But I know I sort of wonder, uh, you know, when you're that young and you decide that that's your path 
and you finally get there, yeah. is that still what you want? Right. Because I think when you're that young and you make that decision, do you really know? I mean, everything that I thought when I was that age, I think completely different now. Right. Have you seen The Queen's Gambit? Yes. That scene where she like looks at the 12-year-old boy and he's like the number one champion in the world. And, or I think he's like one step away from that. And she looks at him and she's like, so what are you going to do after? And he goes silent and he's like staring at the ceiling and he's like, what do you mean? What am I going to do after? And she's like, you're 12. You're about to like hit the <laughs> pinnacle of what you want. Like what's next? Now what? Yeah. And he had no idea what to say. And yeah. like that's the kind of thing that I think about when people ask me like what I want in the next five, 10 years. Like I want a lot of different things. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful to have have an idea and to and to fantasize. And I think that not to say that a fantasy isn't isn't attainable, but I think that that's sort of all you can really hope to do at that point is, yeah. is imagine what you're going to do. But I think it's great. I just love to ask people that question because I think that everybody sort of wonders about where they're going to end up in 10 years. Right? Totally, totally. And it's, it's like it's, throwing things at a wall and saying what sticks. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's fun to hear what people say and almost yeah. look back sometime in the future and OK, what did Olivia yeah. end up doing? You're right. Totally right. <laughs> Some of the kind of lighter hearted questions that I like to ask people on the show. What is a song that you like to listen to that always makes you happy? I love Bonnie Raitt. And she has a song called Thank You that I like blast in my house all the time. And it always puts me in a good mood. I add all of my guest songs to a playlist. It's called Rose Colored Glasses. And it's just That's a, awesome. It's just a playlist for people if they want to have something that'll make them feel happy yeah. on a daily basis, they can tune into the playlist. And so that's perfect. I I'll, love that. I'll add that there. And then do you have any Instagram accounts that you follow or social media in general that you follow that make you feel happy every time you see them? Or inspired? Okay, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> um, my friend Kareen, she has an Instagram account and a card game called We're Not Really Strangers. I'm sure you've seen it. Yes, I love that one. I think everyone has seen it at this point. Um, I'm I mean, really, they've killed it with that. It's a great right. account. That's why I'm so proud of her. She's done such an incredible job. Have you played the game? I haven't. Oh, my I'm God. I'm scared. See, don't I'm be. a little emotionally – I mean, I don't know. I think when, like everything on social media, for some reason in public, I've, I'm able to express myself more – emotionally in that way but I think sitting down face to face because isn't that the point of the game you're supposed to sit down face to face with people and ask them these questions yeah but I think I can understand why you're nervous about it that feels intense yeah so it feels intense I brought it on my boyfriend and I's last camping trip and he was a little nervous about it when he saw it in our apartment to begin with but I brought it and I was like we love games like we play Remy Cube and like backgammon and everything so I was like let's just like see what the questions are we ended up having so much fun Sure, some of the questions are thoughtful. I wouldn't say intense. They're very thoughtful. But it's you really get to know the person you're sitting with in a deeper way. But I also think it's like kind of like a temp check. Like the questions are so much about like what you're feeling in that moment that sometimes I think us as humans, like we're so accustomed to just being like, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks. Yeah, you don't respond in really. Yeah, like a lot of the questions were like him being like, how are you feeling really right now? Or like, Who's someone you missed today? Mm. Or what was the last thing you were really afraid of? And sure, they're like intense questions to ask. But I think if you can reframe it as something that's like thoughtful and more of just getting to kind of know where each person's at. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I guess when I say intense, that's a little bit of a reflection of my own, you know, issues maybe. (laughs) But I do think that there's something very useful about that game. And I, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about bringing that on a first date. To me, that's a little overwhelming. That's really overwhelming. But I do think that when you're in a relationship with somebody who you feel comfortable with, those are the kind of questions and conversations that you probably should be having anyway. Yeah, but even like we'd finish playing and the first thing we both said to each other is like, oh my God, let's bring that to our family's houses. That's really nice, right? Because you never really ask your family that stuff. Yeah, and it's also, 
I don't think it's necessarily triggering. I think it's really dedicated time for you to show love and receive love from the people that are closest to you if you let it. Right. And I think if your relationship has the right dynamic. Yeah. (laughs) Which, by the way, I think one of the – Chanel and I, the last time we were hanging out, we were at the – or one of the last times we were at the farmer's market. And you must have been out of town somewhere, but your boyfriend was there. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) He was leaving. I do. He was leaving to pick me up from the airport. But – he had a giant bouquet of sunflowers with him. <laughs> sunflowers are my favorite. So, but it was so sweet because I thought, okay, where did she find this guy? This is this is so sweet that he's going to the airport to get you with sunflowers. Yeah, it was great. I, this was back in September. I had been my best friend had a baby, and I went to New York, which was I was terrified of, and it was. And it was a crazy two weeks. I was getting tested every two days, and it was an emotional thing. So it was so nice to see him at the airport with that's my really flowers. sweet because I, I just feel like a that a guy would play we're not really strangers with you and uh and be bringing you some flowers to the airport right yeah I mean, Chanel's, I will, Chanel's here in the room and we're looking she's at her right nodding. now I yeah. will say that Chanel has you know Chanel likes to say like I've done a good job Olivia I've done a good job okay? <laughs> she's groomed him <laughs> she loves it she, she's thumbs, she thumbs up by us right now yeah no no I know but I remember saying to her that day okay so where did she find this guy this is the sweetest thing ever he like shows up to the airport Part with a big bag of Brothers Dip, which is like my favorite yes. thing of all time. We ends up flowers. That day. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you got a winner. Yeah, yeah, um, I do. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was really sweet to talk to you. And I want to know where our listeners can find you on social media. So I'm Liv Perez with two V's. My middle name is not V or anything, but it's my uh, like I started my Instagram in the tenth grade, and little did I know, everyone who emails me now emails me hi Liv with two V's, and I'm like. Well, okay. I, uh, mine is my email is Caitlin E. Carter. Okay, and, and but your Instagram is Caitlin. You're winning. <laughs> I, got, I got so lucky with yeah. that. There was just this little window of time where was for, I guess Instagram reclaimed everyone's first names. And I saw one friend do it and I, I searched my name and it was available. And then after that, wow. I, they were all taken. Wow. But yeah, I got really lucky. lucky. No, but still to this day, people email me Caitlin and add an E to the end of my name because that's what my email says. So mm. we were just all kind of like, who spells it? name like that i know it's it's tough out there guys it's tough okay so um, live live on instagram and your podcast my podcast is called friend of a friend and you can find it anywhere we listen to podcasts and if you are lost you can just go to my instagram it's the link in my bio perfect yeah thank you so much for being here thank you for having me 